If you're listening to this podcast, it means you're ready, no more than ready, to have a major breakthrough in your business. You're hungry for change and you're hungry for growth, and that's why you're feeding your mind right now with all this valuable information. But to drive those changes, to be really smart about what you're doing and to make the right choices before you take massive action, you need help from someone who's been there, someone who's gonna coach you through it, even just someone to get you started on your journey. That's why Tony Robbins is offering a free one-to-one business strategy session from one of his top business coaches, a $600 value, completely free, no strings attached. That's right, if you're listening right now, you can go to tonyrobbins.com CEO and sign up for a free session with a member of Tony's team who's helped business owners like yourself overcome their obstacles and set them on the path to success. Life-changing, addicting, intense. These are just a few words that have been used to describe Orange Theory, the fitness studio known for its science-backed, technology-tracked, coach-inspired workouts. The franchise has taken the world by storm. In just eight years, it has amassed a million members, expanded to over 1,100 locations around the world, and has crossed a threshold that very few businesses manage to reach, exceeding $1 billion in revenue in a single year. But what is it that fueled Orange Theory's rise to the top of an industry that's so full of competition? Hey guys, it's Anna York, Editorial Director for Robbins Research. Welcome back to the Tony Robbins Podcast. In this episode of the Peak Performance Season, we're bringing you to Business Mastery, where you have a front row seat at the Masters of Disruption panel. At this panel, Tony spoke with Ellen Latham, the creator and co-founder of Orange Theory Fitness. You'll also hear a little bit from Danny Meyer, the founder of Union Square Hospitality Group and creator of Shake Shack, as he participates in the panel and even asks Ellen a question toward the end. Now, since this is audio only, you can't see her on stage, but you're going to quickly figure out from what you hear that Ellen's energy is absolutely boundless and certainly infectious. And it was this very energy in combination with her creativity, determination, and pure grit that got her through the most difficult time of her life, a time when she was laid off from her job, out of work, and a single mother to her nine-year-old son. She tells Tony about her bulletproof mindset during that time and the sports psychology technique she used to turn what could have been a massive breakdown into the massive breakthrough that led her to create Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory offers heart rate-based workouts built around the physiological concept of excess post-exercise oxygen consumption, or EPOC, where the body continues to burn calories at a higher rate even after the workout is over. But behind the science of Orange Theory is something far less measurable, but just as powerful. It's raving fan culture. Ellen reveals to Tony how she and her partners have strategically built an army of fiercely loyal clients and what they've done to scale this culture across the globe. So great to have you here. Oh, wonderful to be here. Uh, You've been doing this 40 years, so you started when you were two. Oh, wow. (laughs) Tell us, you took took an, uh, an industry that's cluttered, where people have done a million different types of workouts, and I know um, my trainer, Billy Beck, remembers when you were working at the same facility he was before you'd started. Eight years, you're doing, what, a billion dollars in revenue. You're changing people's lives. How the hell do you go from working for somebody else to building an entire new yeah. segment of the industry? Yeah, well, um, interesting story. Uh, there's a sports psychologist theory called momentum shifting. Yes. 
And momentum shifting is focusing on what you have instead of obsessing over what you don't have. My father was a phys ed teacher and football coach at my local high school in Niagara Falls, New York. Whoa. As a matter of fact, my father has since passed. Today is his birthday. Oh, I am celebrating. Gotta be very proud. So excited. He lived his life very much in momentum shifting up, focusing on what you had. At 43 years of age, I'm 62 now. When I was 43. He's 62. Can you believe this? <laughs> no, give it up for her. This is unbelievable. You're the awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But you, you, I want people to know, you started this during a really tough time in your yes, life, right? Exactly. And I uh, had a, my dream job, I would call it. And my boss called me into his office and told me they had let me go that day. And I was a single parent of a nine-year-old son. And quite frankly, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was in a panic. But this momentum shift up very up, focusing and building on what you had. At that time, I had a Pilates certification. I was a great group X instructor. So I went down to my Gold's gym and I talked the owner into buying some bikes. And this was before spinning was in every gym there yeah. was. And I said, well, split it 50-50. Okay. And then I started soliciting those spinning clients to come and take Pilates with me. And I used a spare room out of my house to start doing one-on-one -on -one Pilates. Wow. And I kept building until pretty soon I had two women. And some days from 6 a.m. in the morning to 9 p.m. at night, I had two women pulling in my driveway, two women pulling out of my driveway in their exercise outfits. I always joke, I have no idea what the neighbors thought, what kind of business I had going on in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept momentum shifting up. And I borrowed a little money to open up an 1,100-square-foot Pilates studio. And the next phase of that, was adding on a room that was the foundation of the Orange Theory Fitness Workout. And tell us, what was the breakthrough? What was the point you had the breakthrough in actually developing Orange Theory? What, what allowed you to separate out from so many different other types of approaches yeah. that are out here? Well, I had been teaching group fitness for over 40 years, and I knew a reason why people didn't stay with working out is because they didn't feel successful. They didn't feel like they got results. And so they didn't, you know, stay with it. They didn't want to keep slogging through weeks of working out and maybe it'll, it'll work. So I came up with a science-backed workout. So I have a master's degree in exercise physiology. So I based the workout on the science of EPOC, which is excess post-exercise oxygen consumption, a big word. All it means is you create an oxygen deficit in your body, and your body has to repay it 24 hours after. It's like money in the bank. You create a deficit in your bank account. You have to go work harder to replace those funds in so the account. So you're burning calories so you're after burning the calories at a higher later. rate for 24 hours after. So I based it on that science. I didn't create the science. It was created in, way back in 1940s when they realized this was a great way to do interval training yes. with athletes in the Olympics. I just took that science. And then we, you know, what's very important is measurement. You know, I've been taking the last five days with you. Wow, Tony. Wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow, 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 wow. Right? She's been here with you attending. Group number four. Where are, uh, I'm with you guys. <laughs> So the importance of measurement, just in like in business, yes. was very important in exercise. So we have technology where in real time you could measure how your heart is performing. So you don't underexert and you don't overexert. And the goal is to get your heart rate over 84%. That's when I'm creating that oxygen deficit for only 12 minutes by the end of the hour. You don't do all the 12 minutes in one, one bout of 12 minutes in bite-sized sections. 60 seconds here, 90 seconds there. And all you have to do is get that 
12 minutes at the end, and I could produce about a 20% additional afterburn in your body. It's working for a lot of people. Wow. Tell us, you know, how did you originally fund the business? I mean, you were starting out with nothing. How yeah. did you get the funding going? And at what point did you decide <laughs> to go with franchising? And were you concerned about that? Because some of the largest franchises have the most lawsuits, unfortunately, as well. Yeah. Tell us your thoughts. So I had my small little studio yeah. at Pilates in this workout that I created. One of my members, April Kern, comes into me one day and says, listen, Ellen, I think you should talk to my husband. He does franchising, and I think that one of these should be on every corner. People love this workout. They can't get into class. They're talking about the results. So eventually I did speak to her husband. So he had worked in the franchising world before with the Massage Envy franchising. Okay, got it. So him and his partner met with me and we just kind of said, let's see what we got here. We, uh, you know, it's so funny sitting in the last five days with you when you talked about the artist, you talked about the leader and you talked about the entrepreneur. I didn't even think about this because I didn't know names for them, but that's exactly what the three of us are. Mm. I am the artist and yes. then the CEO of our company, Dave Long, is the leader and Jerome Kern is definitely the entrepreneur. So interestingly yeah, enough, well, hey, it came, I always talk about we were the perfect storm. And I think, you know, that really made a difference in our growth. But you further define those names, which I'll be going back and letting them know exactly who they are. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, who is your, you know, when you started a market, who did you perceive as, and who is your ideal client? And how do you really get across what you are and how different you are? How do you market that? Yeah, that's very challenging. People thought we were orange therapy. We thought they were a therapy program. They thought we were orange Julius. They came in for a drink. Yeah, when you create a whole name, that's a whole other thing. So, you know, the where the name came from is the theory. It's the 12 minutes of, you know, epoch. And then we went with the color orange because it represents colors, vibrant energy, that type of thing. So, yeah, it, it was slow. Could you please work on your energy a little bit for us? <laughs> Do you have a hand for the energy coming out of this woman, ladies and gentlemen? She lives her. Yes, so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, in the beginning, absolutely. It's something that uh, we had to you know, spend a lot of time in, uh, you know, building up who we were. So what was very important is the words that, even in the coaching of the workout, how that was described is very important. And those words of even how we describe the workout on the outside. Now, what that does is words creates actions. So then what happens is because of the words of how we were going to, you know, coach people in the workout, which all levels can come. There's three categories, a walker category, jogger category, and runner category. So it doesn't matter how deconditioned you are, you could do the workout. We had a walker next to a triathlete the other day in class, and everyone's in the same class because of the categories. Wow. So words represent actions. Now, actions represent an attitude. So words, actions, attitude really is what we talked about, we thought about, we worked on, and what is an attitude? Well, you know that, Tony, because that's what you got. It's contagious. Well, tell me, in the very beginning, it's interesting, you both talked about the power of words to help shape your culture. Um, 
What were some of the words that describe orange therapy then and are the same today? Yeah. So we're a science-backed, technology-track, coach-inspired workout. That's how we describe our workout. The science is what I just spoke to you about, EPOC. The technology is everyone's hooked into our own proprietary heart rate system. So you, in real time, know how your body is responding in that workout. You know, if you're under-training, over-training, or you're spot-on, and you're going to slam those 12 minutes. Technology is very important today and we realize that so we've got things like uh, we've got uh, our challenge trackers in our studio so what is that you would we have benchmarks because again we like to measure things so we're not interested in you just coming in doing a workout and it fading away five years from now we're going to be around forever and this is one of the reasons why because we know how to progress your physical body so that challenge tracker you would do the one mile walk jog or run and then you're going to do it a couple times that year. And you're going to see that you shave some time off of that, which means you've got a stronger heart, which means that you have a stronger physiology. I'm real excited about the new technology coming on board by the end of the year, which is called OT Connect. So you'll walk in a studio and the treadmill and the rower will recognize you. Welcome, Tony. Yes. And it has all your data within that awesome. uh, platform. And then it's going to collect that as well as what you did in that workout. And we have all kinds of exciting things we're going to do with that. The coach-inspired aspect and description of the workout is all the workouts are designed in a lab that I have here in Boca Raton at our corporate office. So we have a whole team that designs the workouts, tests them for heart rate response, then sends them to the over 1,000 studios we have open right now. Mm -hmm. So everyone on a given day is doing the same workout. So on Monday in Japan, because we're in Japan, they're doing the same, well, I don't know if it lands on Monday, though. I'd have to <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, so someone in California and someone in Oklahoma on Monday are doing the exact same workout. That works out really well because they're connecting with each other. They're talking on social media. You know, sisters are comparing the same workout results, that type of thing. Um, but when you talk about how do you get people to know who you are and what you are, you've been talking about it all week. It's totally about raving fans. Yes. And what makes them such raving fans for Orange Theory? Yeah. What do you think it is? What is the unique selling proposition or experience that you're giving people that's so different? Because you know, yeah, I think our small footprint of about mm. a 3,000, uh, 3,500 3, square foot facility, it's really no bigger than that, our studios, allows our staff to really know everyone's name, know about your dog, know you're going on vacation. Hospitality. Really does it, which gyms have struggled to do because you've got 2,000 members or whatever the case may be. So these small communities, it's kind of back in the neighborhoods when we used to, you know, have that camaraderie with our neighbors and so on. There's many people don't even know their neighbors who live next door. It's brought that back. And the, the sense of community is overwhelming. People, when we say raving fans, people have got tattoos, shave. The splat is our um, logo. Yep. They've shaved their heads with splats on. On it. I don't know, that's going out there. Uh, a really f unbelievable story is two girls befriended themselves. I think it was in the Midwest, and one needed a kidney. And do you believe one donated her kidney wow. to this other girl that she wow. took class with because she was not a match with any relatives, anyone that she put out there? And, and this kind of stuff just blows me away of wow. the kind of community and culture that's being created. 
And how much is a, uh, the role, you know, talking to Danny, he really works hard to find the nature, the right nature for that job. It's got to be critical for you as well, or you wouldn't have been able to scale. Tell us, how do you make the selection of these instructors and the people within your organization? Yeah, we really look for that kind of, uh, I jokingly say that orange glint in the eye. And basically what that means is they really get who we are and they want to be a part of this movement. It's mission. We don't see that. We, we don't call ourselves a fitness company. What we call ourselves is a more life company. Mm-hmm. That we give people more life. We give you more effervescent, more energy, hopefully a few more years on at the end. That's how we see ourselves. So we're looking for people who want to commit themselves to work with other individuals, all different levels, all different sizes, and give them more life. We're real clear of what we're here to do. What is your marketing strategy? Is it all word of mouth? Is it ever? I don't know. I apologize. But what is your strategy? What's worked best for you in helping you to grow? Yeah, it has been very organic word of mouth. Many of our franchisees were members before they decided to buy a franchise. Mm. And they just, again, became raving fans and said, I got to get on this path. I I need, you know, to become a a franchisee. So we built this whole, you know, uh, conglomerate of individuals uh, from from raving fans. Tell, tell us about two major challenges you faced in the business at some stage that maybe shook you up or shook your team up, and how'd you turn it around? The first year of franchising, so there's myself and our two partners, um, you know, franchising or duplicating any business, and Danny, you know this, is about people, the processes, and of course the program or the product. So we started franchising, and we didn't select the right people who would be partners with us as franchisees. They weren't the right individuals. And we did how did you know that? Yeah. How did you know they were? Well, as we are, we only had a few open. And as we are going and looking for consistency in the product and, you know, in a franchise, you can't start just selling random things. So all of a sudden there's, you know, milkshakes and vitamins and like, well, whose are these? (laughs) It's like (laughs) mine. Well, you can't do that. Um, So that consistency is very, very important. And then the processes, we, you know, started very, very small, and we didn't really have a lot of staff to put a lot of that together. The three of us started putting that together, and we realized, you know, we have to find experts in each one of those areas mm-hmm. so that uh, so we stopped franchising. You stopped. We decided after a year, we're not going to take people's money. We're not going to do this. Smart. We're not going to just franchise to say, oh, we have 500 franchises. We want... 500, 1,000 profitable franchises. That's what the three of us decided. And we said we'd be good if we hit 30. We'd be excited if we hit 30. We were very excited in the beginning. We said if we can hit 30 and they're profitable franchises, you know, franchises, we'd be very, very excited. So that was challenging. We stopped and we said, let's reboot. Let's not take anyone's money until we really feel like we have a legit product here. And, you know, that's what I'm so proud about the partners that I do have, that we were all on that same wavelength of taking care of doing the right thing. That makes sense. That makes so much sense. Tell me another example. Because when people see you, they see a rocket ship. So it's really important for them to realize the rocket ships, you know, have their starts and stops as well. And, and also to hear how you solved it. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, you know, we're in the people business. So 
What's tough in growing pains in a company is when you start small, okay, and you've got certain people that are managing certain areas, and we're only, we're eight years old. We have 1,100 studios. We have 450 studios in the works of, you know, getting leases signed, so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah. We're in 23 different countries. The workout's done in eight different languages. So wow. that very quick growth in eight years, you may have certain people heading certain areas or departments in your company that it's kind of outgrown yes. who they are. And that's, you know, I take it very much to heart with you people yeah. who, are, who have committed with us from the beginning in the company. And we try, you know, frantically to find... The, bus, the right seat on the bus for them. Yes. You know, but sometimes it is not the one that they came in in the beginning. And sometimes that's a little stressful. How do you deal with that? Because you obviously are a people person. Yeah. Um, are you the one that does it or someone else well, do it? Well, it's, you know, in the, when we were small, yeah, it was more the manager, the partner yeah. Yeah. Who, who did that. But we're all, we're all very involved in the company. Um, you know, we try relentlessly to find the best seat in the bus for them. Yes. And we have individuals who are still with us who maybe shifted the seat yep. one over yes. or back and readjusted. And those that just resisted and was like, no, I could take this where it needs to go. Uh, you know, we support them in every which way, but sometimes yep. you have to change the seat. What is your culture and how do you keep that scaled across 1,500 centers almost now? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the culture is really a... And how do you define culture? I like your definition, if we may. Well, I think for us, it really was, you know, it came from our small footprint and really making sure that we, and I, it's funny when I hear you, overextend, overproduce uh, for the member coming in. They're coming in for a fitness product and we're giving them all this individualized attention, all this technology. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of events that we pull together to keep the group very, very tight. Um, we, you know, social media that are more like- what, what kind of events? So we have like a dry try. So it's a triathlon that's on dry land, what's in our studios. Okay. And then all the other studios or everyone across uh, all of the studios are doing it at the same time. Okay. So then everyone comes together and roots for each other and this mm -hmm. type of thing. Um, we have a, and it's coming up in about four weeks, an educational summit that it's very important for us to educate our coaches our managers, our sales staff, you know, many times people, yeah, they want to make the best money they can, but you know what? They really appreciate you developing them. Yes. And that's become very important to us. And we actually created what we call Orange University. Mm. And it is a whole section of different training modules for individuals who stay with us to develop them. So you've yes. got someone who's a college that comes in as a manager, and we want, if, if you're going to stay with us or not, we want to develop you. That's great. A coach who's working with individuals on the floor. Many of our coaches, you know, us fitness people, we do fitness because we're artists. We're just passionate about working with people physically. But 
you know, we want to keep growing them. So we have found that's been just huge for creating such a culture amongst our professionals that, wow, look what you get with this product. And I've found that to be true. You know, there's only three types of motivation, I really believe. There's fear, which never lasts. You can see that in despots. They eventually get kicked out. Certainly happens in business as well as countries. There's the idea of incentives. Incentives are wonderful, but you can only incentivize so much and still have a margin. And if you only reward people for what they do, then pretty soon they don't even feel good about themselves because I'm doing it to get something, very much like the tip description that you gave, Danny. And then there's personal development. There's this sense of autonomy, the sense that I'm growing, I'm expanding, and that I found to be extraordinarily valuable. What won't you stand for? You know, you have to hold a standard in the industry. Where do you say this person's got to go? Because yeah. many people, we've all heard the phrase, it's not the person you hire, it's the person you fail to fire that messes up your culture. What won't you tolerate? How do you deal with that? Yeah. We're very clear in our job descriptions to everyone who works at our studios. Your sole role is to make people feel better about themselves using our product. Mm. So when they come in and use our fitness product, the ultimate goal is to make you, after a workout, after several workouts, to feel better about who you are from using our product. And how do you do that? What are some of the ways you train people to do that? We have personal touches that we really encourage our individuals to uh, use. So when a member comes in for the workout for that day, our coaches on the floor want to make sure you've used their name. You've, you know, you really did great in increasing your base today. You've really, find ways to compliment them. Specifically, not generally. Give them generally, the yes. power of encouragement. You give them that. There's nothing more powerful than encouragement. So, you know, by doing that, people do feel better about themselves. So what's not tolerated is when someone wants to come in just for a job. Orange Theory Fitness is not your place of employment. That if you just are passing through and you just want to work and make a few bucks, and that's not you know our employee. And it's very hard to sometimes assess that in the interview and in the beginning. Yes. They've got to get rolling, and then you realize, and you try to work with them. First off, you know this is what's going on, Tony. You know, let let me help you. It and won't so be me. So far, <laughs> why do I <laughs> kind of know? That? Uh, and then if it's not where the person really sits or feels. I've even done things have said, not Tony, but Joe, yeah. um, you know, I'll help you find something else. I will do whatever we got to do. Maybe this isn't a great fit, but in, I explain clearly why, but, you know, let me see whatever I, whatever I can do to help you. But I have to make sure there's a fit with everyone in those studios. CrossFit became very popular, and uh, a lot of people get injured in CrossFit. What, how do you differentiate yourself from CrossFit? You've obviously done a beautiful job of that. How do you do that? Yeah. So, again, I, I spoke about the science back, the heart rate response workout. We look at the other aspects of the workout being based on what I call usable strength, usable functional mm. movements mm. that we do as opposed to absolute strength. Yes. So absolute strength So what strength you're is, really going to use in your life uh, as opposed right. yes. You know, absolute strength, I'm in the gym, let me see the heaviest I can bench press. That's not usable functional strength for most people. Yes. They want to age well. They want to fight cellular decline. They want to get down and up off the ground through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Yep. So 
we are very clear of what our form of fitness is. And uh, we want you to be able to do it for a lot of years. We have 70 and 80-year-old members. What is your greatest desire or promise for this organization of yours? What is it really delivering to people in your heart and your soul? Oh, I, you know, I got into this fitness over 43 years ago because I'm passionate about exercise. But the fact that, and we're going to have a million members soon, I don't even know what you feel like with the millions of people that you <laughs> affect. But I know just thinking yeah. that there's a million members that uh, I've affected with this workout, and they've got stronger hearts, and they've got cellular decline, and they're going to maybe age a little bit better, and they're more vibrant in their life. That alone, I'm done. Listen, it's great that the company is, you know, rated at a billion-dollar company. I'm not going to say that isn't a great thing. But I'm going to tell you, that is what I live for. Danny, I'd like to know if there's a question you'd like to ask or one or two just real quick for you. Well, I, I was just thinking we should really go into business together because we feed them and then you work it off. You know? <laughs> I think that's pretty there good. There you go. There but, you but, go. But the spirit, of the, the, the spirit of the endeavor is the same thing, which yes. is that... Whatever you are feeling when you come into one of our places, I want to make sure you feel a little bit better when you leave. And that's exactly what you're doing. And she's as lit up as you are about seeing people it's, get the results from her product. Yeah. That's the thing you talked about as well. What question would you have for her, Danny, if you might have one? I would say, um, how have you had to reinvent your leadership style as you've grown? Mm, good question. Mine personally. Yes. Yeah. Great question. Well, interesting story. I'm going to give you real quick. When April came into me and told me about her husband, I actually looked up at April and I said, April, I know nothing about franchising. And she left. What a missed opportunity that could have been for me. And when I think back of why I didn't maybe believe that I could do big things. So I was a woman. I was a, so I didn't have a bunch of women mentors of big business. I was a single parent. So if I invested some money, who would support me if it didn't work? Yes. I was 54 years old when April came in wow. to ask incredible is that? to talk about. So don't people start thinking about retirement at that time? So when I think back about that, and thank God she came in a week later, and my brain was in a different place and rewired with believing, and I think this is a woman thing, and I do a lot of keynote speaking now to a lot of organizations and women organizations, they bring me in, because it's very interesting that I didn't believe in my potential, even with everything I had. I got the same thing then that I had now. I didn't believe in my potential. I didn't believe maybe I deserved to have big things. So how'd you do it anyway? As a woman. And I, well, like I said, I think that that second time she came in, I took some of that fear and doubt. And I said, I looked around at my small little studio that was very successful in what it's doing. And I said, you got to give this a shot. Mm. You got to give this a shot. So, I, I, you know, there's a whole thing called neuroplasticity. I'm sure you're, sure, yes. you're very aware of where you rewire your brain. Yes. Because your, your brain might have got certain messages. I might have got certain messages growing up in the 50s and 60s as a woman, not seeing a lot of great women mentors in big business. I might even have, so whatever the case may be, there was slightly rewiring going on that second week she came in. But I'll tell you what, after I started with this, 
I once, dug my once heels you, once in you and committed in it. my potential. Yeah. And I believed I deserved it. And I used the mantra from that moment that I partnered with those two gentlemen to where I am today, which is, why not me? That's awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's amplify a little bit about that. You know, there's such a movement worldwide now for women to really acknowledge their own power and strength and uh, reclaim that. How do you look at the advantage of being a woman today yeah, I, in business? I, I, it's so exciting for me because, again, I'm a woman with, you know, in her 60s. And, you know, uh, there's a lot going on with that thought process. So I love, I love just, you know, working with other women, talking to other women, uh, you know, especially one young girls who maybe, you know, have doubt and just really encouraging them, you know, to give it a shot and to believe in yourself. And sometimes you have to find other individuals to, you know, assist in where your weaknesses and strengths are. Look at, I didn't have all that experience yes. in franchising and so forth. But luckily, I found partners that were very respectful of me, acknowledged what I do bring to the table as an yes. artist, yes. and it helped me grow tremendously. And notice she got the artist, went and got what she needed, right? She got the manager leader, she got the entrepreneur, and scaled this thing up. Let's give her a hand. The Tony Robbins Podcast is directed and hosted by Tony Robbins. Annie York is our editorial director and occasional host. Our executive producer is Hollis Tuma. Jamie Carvajal and Adriel De La Torre are our digital editors. Copyright Robbins Research International.